hey, I was at least smart enough that I brought two sets of earbuds and like a wow, so I could wow. See, I'm getting better. That's amazing. I know. I'm becoming like a pro. Hold on. Let's let's not get nuts. (laughs) See. All right. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. This is amazing. Right. We are now international. I know. We are international. Very exciting. And we can do Uh, this. We don't have to do this. I'm on the deck, but we can go inside tomorrow. Oh, perfect. So we don't have to hear the construction, but since it's Yeah. How excited are they to have us there in St. Martin? They are so excited to have us here. The whole island just, you know, the plane landed and the island was like, they're here. They're here. Perfect. Excellent. It is rocking and we are, you know, taking the island by storm. Now, hearing that bandsaw or circular saw in the background is really relaxing. Isn't it, though? Hey, we're recovering from a hurricane here. Oh, of course you are. You got to give us some... uh, do you want me to go inside? I will go inside. No, tomorrow. it's fine. It's fine. Yes. Um, and I will, uh, you know, I will be doing research for our important episode yeah. tomorrow in a, about an hour. Lordy. So, I'm. <laughs> what does that mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to head to Kupakoi Beach, which is actually the second photo I sent you. That's kind of it's right there. It's right over the over the trees is the actual beach. Okay, where, uh, and now our friends congregate in all of their sandy bits glory right so now they wear nothing but um wooden shoes is that right yes exactly because okay. we're on the dutch side you are on the dutch side yes. that was but yes, we are okay. i think the other shot i sent you is actually no that's still the dutch we're right at the end of the dutch side so just okay. up the hill we're we become french i see and on the french side they wear nothing but berets okay gotcha i don't know, I don't know how to i don't know what I guess that would be the classification. Of yeah. A just let their baguettes hang out. Stereotyping yeah. attire for a country. Let's just start doing that. Yeah, no. I think <laughs> that's it, really good for our claims of being, you know, socially conscious. No, I think it, it works great with our brand. I think so, too. So. I think it works really great with our brand. This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. So my first question is this. Were you wearing a shirt when you were discovered? (laughs) I guess we have to find discovered because it seems like once I've been quote unquote discovered, the shirt comes off more and more. And uh, (laughs) which is horrible because I'm part Italian, which means I love to eat. And every time I hear I book something to me, it's 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 mixed emotions. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Ah, I got to diet again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how I feel too you were doing the romance covers and then you got into acting or what was the thing that kind of clicked first for you acting for sure yeah, so yeah. what was that like you moved to LA and what was your first time on set like Ooh, okay well um, are we talking about like a student film type deal or a like major production let's say major production I know one of your early roles was in one of the G.I. Joe films correct this is correct what is it like being on one of these, you know, hundred million dollar sets? What's and especially um, so early on for you, what was that like? For a guy like me 
who grew up uh, not watching Meryl Streep movies and, you know, the stuff that you see at the Oscars today. I grew up with explosions and Van Damme and Schwarzenegger and Stallone. So for me to be on the set of G.I. Joe and see characters that were the toys that I played with as a kid, it was um, it was emotional. It really was like I was like, I'm, I'm really here. And, and just last year, I was um, grading papers in my English class back in Carleton, Michigan. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like how you, wh- how did that work? How did you go from being a high school English teacher to saying, screw it, I'm going to pursue my dream? Well, I'll kind of give you a, the way it goes down. So my entire life, I, you know, grew up watching movies with my dad, you know, action movies and World War II movies and horror movies. And I always loved cinema. And, uh, you know, along the way, I wanted to be just like my dad. And my dad was a high school English teacher. I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, I went to college and I actually went to the same school as my father did, a little school in Ohio called Mount Union College. And, uh, you know, I got my degree and came back up and I literally was living the dream of being a high school English teacher. And I was teaching. And do you guys know where Carlton is down by like uh, Fermi, 275, yep. 75? Well, area? I do, okay. obviously, because of Jeff. No clue. My brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just I'll tell you what. Picture farmland and a school gotcha. in the middle of it. So Perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm but, there. Yep. Yep. But I, I truly I truly love my job. I was I, I loved going to school every day. And, and in a way, it was the best acting training I could possibly ever have. Because, you know, I've got to get up every day and make... Uh, literature by a bunch of old dead guys um, fun for the, at the time, the MTV generation. <laughs> I don't know if anybody watches MTV anymore, but back then it was like, all right, we're going to get excited today about Walt Whitman. And they just stare at me and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so when I was in college, I, I took some theater classes. So I knew that I, uh, I enjoyed actually performing and this would have been, let's see, my first year teaching was 98. So this would have been about 2004 and a friend of mine calls me up and he's like, Hey, they're, uh, they're auditioning for this, uh, reality show on ABC. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, it's in Cleveland. So I actually had to be in Cleveland that weekend anyway. And I was like, okay, I'll stop by for a little interview, see what's happening. And I went down and did the interview and they told me they're like, Hey, uh, you know, you made the top 50. We're going to fly to LA and vet you a little bit more. Great. So I did that and uh, wound up being one of the 25 guys on the show. And they flew me to New York and, you know, did the show and whatever, all stuff that I don't talk about out here in Hollywood. Reality TV is a no, no. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but by, by doing that, I came back to Monroe, which is a very small town and uh, the local, you know, TV commercial people were like, Hey, you've just been on a ABC show. Maybe you'd like to do some commercials. Of course I would. So I started doing local Toledo and Detroit commercials and I had forgotten how much fun I had doing it. And that's when I kind of had the thing come in my head. It's like, you know, I'm 30 years old. I'm not married. I don't have any kids and I do have an education and a master's degree to fall back on. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. (laughs) And, 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 you know, I mean, if I wanted to make cars, Detroit area is a great place to be. But if you want to be an actor, you got to be in L.A. So I just said, <laughs> if I'm doing it now, it's now or never. And I sucked it up and moved out here. And uh, I didn't know any producers. I didn't know any other actors. I just came out here and said, I'm going to work hard and see what happens. 
And that's literally how it started. How awkward is it to say the phrase, yes, I will accept this rose in a room full of people? <laughs> yeah, but if you know me, you know that I had fun with it. <laughs> when, when she did that, she said, uh, Michael, will you accept this rose? And I was like, yeah. And then I gave her the whole going back to Dumb and Dumber. I kind of opened up my arms and said, how about a hug? <laughs> <laughs> now, so, I've heard there's a lot of alcohol on that set. Oh, wow. It's it's kind of like, imagine if um God created a fraternity. Oh, so it's kind of like you're in a house and you just sort of look up in the air and say, I could sure go for a shot of tequila. Within two minutes, you got booze in your hand. <laughs> Jeez, I could really go for one of those amazing New York style pizzas. Boom, it appears. <laughs> are the people on that show serious about trying to find a mate or are they trying to find an agent? So here's the deal. Um, back when I did this, I know at least half of the guys really were there for, <laughs> ready for a cliche, they were there for the right reasons. There we go. Um, Perfect. <laughs> but, but I mean, but, but in all fairness, I really was there because I was a teacher in the middle of farm country. Everybody I knew by the time I'm 30 was married and had kids. And I found out that the girl that was the, the bachelorette was her dad was my dad's fraternity brother. And he knew her dad. And he's like, what a great family. And I was like, if I got a chance to do it, why not? What else am I doing? Wow. So you've appeared on a ton of TV shows, everything from mm -hmm. Walking Dead to Blackish. Do mm -hmm. you have a favorite part that you've played on, on any of these shows? Honestly, my favorite roles are always when I do Disney and Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like that just because nothing makes me happier than when I go out and little kids come up and say like, Oh, strong door. Hey, Sylvester <laughs> stallion. You know, it's just like, Oh, that, that makes me happy. Um, Are you recognized a lot for those parts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I am. I guess <laughs> but, it's hard but, to but, hide it. Well, yeah. And it's not like I blend. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I am, I am six, six and 250 pounds, so I'm not going to really get lost in a crowd. <laughs> Um, I will say the walking dead was one of my favorite roles because, um, what is the, what is the phrase I'm looking for? I, I don't want to say epiphany, but I guess moment of self-actualization. Like first time I remember being alive, um, my dad being a high school teacher, I just vaguely remember that my mom took me to visit him somewhere around my kindergarten years. And, uh, come to find out later, he was teaching a horror and science fiction unit. And, uh, he showed a movie to go along with the literature they were doing. And he showed the original, uh, George Romero, Night of the Living Dead. So one of my first memories of being alive was a zombie movie. And when I booked that, I called my dad. I think I had tears in my eyes. I'm like, you're never going to believe this. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to be on The Walking Dead, which we both watched religiously. So that was uh, that, that was pretty exciting for, for my dad and I. <laughs> and did you get to turn? Oh, they they, uh, they didn't have me turn, but the uh, the director, Avi Hubian, I told him, I said, hey, if you uh, are looking forward to having the, the largest zombie in the history of the Walking Dead universe come back, you just give me a call. <laughs> but 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 the good the good news is I got to play the dumbest character in the history of the Walking Dead universe. I'm in the middle of the forest with headphones on and I stab a zombie in the chest. Nice. Yeah, that's not smart. Well, no. yeah. but really, you really think you're the dumbest? I mean, I watched that show to, for many, many years until I gave up. 
There were a lot of really, really not smart characters on that show. <laughs> you were in okay. good company. <laughs> you just lumped me in with them then. <laughs> yeah. They were kind of part of the, and yet they survived, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. They did. I didn't. <laughs> well, it's okay. Go out. You know, it's like being on a show like The Bachelor, get voted off, you know, fairly early. You don't get stuck there too long. Get to enjoy all the benefits. Same thing of Walking Dead. You want to stay that's, too long. It, so that's so true. So true. <laughs> but um, but to, but to, to go back what Luke was uh, asking me earlier, being on the set of GI Joe for me literally blew my mind. Seeing like people that I grew up watching movies that were you know I mean you, you've got guys walking around there like Dennis Quaid. I was like I, I've seen him since every eighties movie he's been in. Um, got to meet Joseph Gordon Levitt, Chris Eccleston. He was Destro. I mean, so all these people that I'm seeing were just like um, it was my first moment of being like. Okay, I'm I'm really here. This is this is this is serious. I'm I'm really giving it giving it my all now. You know, this isn't just a pipe dream. This this can happen. And that was the motivation that I needed to take it to the next level. So has there been any moment I know we have a another um family friend who is an actor in Hollywood and when he had his first big part that he hit, um I think it was on Six Feet Under, everyone all of his family called everyone to tell them to tune in and watch. But yet little mm-hmm. did they know that his scene was a pretty explicit sex scene. And so all of his parents' friends were calling each other laughing and his parents were mortified. <laughs> Has there ever been a mortifying moment as an actor for your friends and family? Probably the most mortifying moment would be uh, a movie that I've got out on um, Amazon Prime now called Axeman 2 Overkill. I play a really, really deranged uh, serial killer. And I know that when my when my parents finished watching it, they kind of called me up and they were like, uh, <laughs> um, what's going on here? And I was like, well, did I sell it? Was I believable? <laughs> Probably were but, they uh, afraid of. <laughs> Sold it yeah. too well. <laughs> yeah, but not, not so much embarrassing moments, but um, but going back to the kids, it's always funny because I play so many uh, characters that have different accents. And when they come up to me and meet me in real life, they're like, uh, you know, because when I did Sylvester Stallion, you know who he talked like Stallone, you know, and then strong door talk like this. And, you know, and, and uh, when I did Gamer's Guide, Victor is more of Russian men. So you get these these people come up to me and the, the special little kids like, oh, you don't talk. What, you, wait, you, this isn't you. You don't talk like that. I'm like, no, this is really what I talk like. Oh. <laughs> Crushing hopes and dreams, just like Santa. I, I, know. I, I know, and I hate being the guy to tell him that Santa Claus is, I'm not going to say it on your show. Right, thank, thank you. you. Tell us a little bit about some of the cover work, too, because I know you've become very well known for that. Well, um, so the way it worked was, is I was doing, you know, my acting was going along. By this time, I'd already had co-stars on, you know, 90210, The Middle, a few other, you know, Disney shows, and my acting career was moving along. And um, I happened to look at what are called the breakdowns. So actors uh, get stuff every day where it's like they're looking for certain types of characters and what roles and blah, blah, blah. And I see this one that's like looking for male models with really tall, long hair, you know, potentially blue eyes, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, I know that dude. (laughs) (laughs) So um, so it said, please send in a picture. And I knew it was a modeling gig. So I knew that every other uh, Ed Hardy wearing tough guy was going to be sending in uh, pictures with the duck lips. And I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. If I'm, if I'm anything, I'm going to be authentic and not cliche. 
So uh, I just did a uh, Virgin America Airlines commercial. And they had me with, you know, I was dressed up like the ultimate warrior, you know, the wrestler with the face paint and the, the bows on my arms and oiled up and all this. And I was doing a big raw, you know, and I sent him that picture giggling. I was like, <laughs> this will show him. <laughs> and uh, the company that I wound up working with, uh, Period Images, actually, they have a sense of humor. So they wrote me back and like, okay, now send us a real one. <laughs> and, and, and I did. And it got my foot in the door. And on 800, 800 plus novels later, uh, that's, that's what I do on the side. It's amazing. I mean, that's a lot of books. That's a lot of covers. It, it started off uh, just, you know, you'd see one or two pop up online. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And now I'll have people send me stuff that it's like, hey, I saw it here. I saw it here. And I have no clue. Wow. And, uh, but, it, but, but it's cool because I get a chance to do a lot of traveling with that. Like um, this coming up weekend here, they're flying me to uh, San Antonio, Texas for the, the Wild Wicked Weekend, which is a giant book lovers convention. And all the authors will be there and they fly in some of the models, me being one of them, uh, to, to, you know, say hi to everybody and help promote. And, you know, and then we had we've had other ones in Vegas. Uh, there's going to be a couple in L.A. this year. So, you know. Get to get to fly around. New Orleans is going to have one next year. Well, and you get quite the draw of fans. I mean, I saw you the time I met you was at Comic Con, and there were lots and lots of ladies, my business partner included, <laughs> and myself obviously, <laughs> um, were could not wait to get to you. So I think that's uh, probably a bit exhausting having all those adoring lady fans. <laughs> well, uh, you know, not. Not to get too personal, but to get a little personal, you know, I grew up my entire life and I was the, I was the fat kid and, uh, you know, I didn't get much attention from the ladies until I was like, I don't know, mid twenties, you know? And I always said to myself, if I was ever in a position where people would, I don't know, pay attention to me or whatever it may be, or take notice of me, I would always be nice to everyone, no matter what. So if having long hair and being on a couple of covers means that people want to come up and say hi, I just look at that as an opportunity to meet some new people and, and be friendly to folks and hopefully, you know, throw out some positive vibes. That's sweet. That's awesome. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, and that's speaking of which, when I met you at the, the Monroe Pop Fest, um, Gary Paulette is a guy that I went to elementary school with. I've, uh, you know, I've known him my whole life and he, he organized this in, in my hometown of Monroe, which is a very blue collar town. And, you know, when you think of the arts and culture, you don't really think of Monroe, Michigan. And, and I've always, again, I've always thought if I ever was in a position where I could help, you know, my people, I would do that. And Gary's asked me to come back to the comic con and, you know, and the, and I'm like, of, why, of course I would, you know, to come back and see people that I went to school with and family and friends and got to meet you. You yeah. know I mean? To, <laughs> You'll learn to regret to, to it that. just like Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I <read> the day. <laughs> How much oil are, is used in one of these shoots? And is it like vegetable oil or like a refined oil? Oh, come on. I'm so L.A. We're using coconut oil all the way. Hello. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> it's funny because before I knew how to do this, I thought you just, you know, gobbled it all over. I thought you just put handfuls of it all over you. You just use a little bit just to get a little bit of a sheen. <laughs> all over? Or how do you? Um, what they do is they put a little bit on like a, a towel mm -hmm. and they kind of they kind of just hit it all over the 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 muscle spots, I guess the sweet spots. Sure. And, uh, they, that's how that goes. And then, um, the, the, my favorite part of it though, is uh, little Rosa. 
She's probably four foot nine, and she's always in the front with the uh, electric um, leaf blower. <laughs> and that, that, that starts kicking in, and the hair starts waving, and um, I, I have to hit my, my trademark. I, I call my trademark duck lips the iron gaze. Ooh. <laughs> so, you know, hit the... We have a name for it, so it's serious. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, blue steel, magnum. Yeah, exactly. No, I, like I like the iron gaze. I was going to ask how strong the fans are, but leaf blowers—that's <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole new level, isn't it? it yeah. Is. How many of these shoots are are BYOK? Bring your own kilt, <laughs> <laughs> or do they just supply those? So the beauty of it is, is that I work exclusively with uh, period images. And, um, and one of the reasons I do this is because I, th- these people are like family to me and they, uh, you know, I know that in this career, they're not going to steer me down a path where it's like, okay, now you're down in your underwear or anything creepy that would hurt my acting career. And, uh, you know, they never put me in a situation like that. And I've had other photographers reach out and want to do stuff, but it's like, you know, if I'm doing the romance stuff, I'm sticking with period images. And the beauty of it is, is they've got a wardrobe department that literally rivals. I mean, I've played. I played a Viking on uh, on Blackish on ABC. You played and, Goliath. Let's just, I mean. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Let's just go and, <laughs> straight to the top. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So being dressed as Viking, Goliath. I mean, I've seen what these places out here in Los Angeles, the Hollywood, um, you know, the, the, uh, the wardrobe departments look like. And period images wardrobe department rivals any one of them. So I go in there and they've got the most amazing wardrobe. Uh, they've got a team of people that do hair and makeup and, you know, and everything. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a one-stop shop. I, all I have to do is get in shape and, and be the character. And it's funny because that's why I think they keep using me is because I am an actor. So I don't just walk out there and duck lips it. I'm like, okay, wait, I'm playing a pirate. I'm defending her. And the British Armada's over there, right? Right? Got it. Let's do this. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, do they let you read the book so you can really become Joanna's Highlander? <laughs> Not beforehand, but what I decided to do was, is um, I kind of, I do a, a little show on YouTube called Reaction to Romance. And my thing was, is I was a high school English teacher. So if I can't break down literature, then I, <laughs> then I got real problems. Right. And I figured, you know, not many of these models. All right. You want me to just say it the way I would say it? Please. None of these clowns are reading the books. <laughs> I mean, right. and, and, and I don't know if how many of them could. <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to get rid of the whole negative stereotype of male models. I mean, look at Zoolander and they're all supposed to be, you know, airheads and, you know, and just stand there with their duck lips. I'm thinking, no, I want to take these novels. I want to read them and I want to be able to react to them in a fairly intelligent kind of way. And no one else in the world that I'm aware of is doing that. I mean, Fabio can react to, you know, artificial butter products, but I try to react to novels. Well, different. different. <laughs> and how is the writing in them? I haven't read any. Um, how is it? Um, is the writing for it? Is it good? It's, uh, there are some that are very, very well written. I mean, you've got authors out there, uh, I'm name dropping, I know, but like uh, your Susan Tisdales and your Catherine Levex. I mean, these are world-class writers. And then you've also got some that are very trashy. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got, you've got well-written, you know, erotic kind of based material. 
And then you've also got stuff that's just like words that I <laughs> I won't say uh, over uh, over our interview here, but I read it and I'm like, oh my God, I hope my mother doesn't see any of this because <laughs> I'm the guy on the cover. Most photo shoots, the photographers usually play music to help you relax. Um, mm -hmm. Can you still listen to Sade casually or does it just feel like work? Well, Sade has been in my playlist since I think 86 when she was uh, doing the smooth operator. Of course. And uh, <laughs> actually, it's funny because they'll play stuff like um, they'll play Game of Thrones type music when I'm a, a Viking and Highlander. Uh, they'll play uh, Pirates of the Caribbean type stuff when I play the pirate. And then when uh, when it's rock star time, they let me play my own music. And I'm um, I'm one of those guys that throws the metal horns in the air and listens to Slayer and Pantera and Lamb of God. So imagine a set with with all these people around there. And, you know, the other models are going to like, play something hard and it'll be like ACDC. And then they put my stuff in and it's the Cookie Monster, you know. <laughs> and <I'm, laughs> so. so. <laughs> Do you ever get to meet the authors? All the time. What do they think of your work, kind of portraying their characters? Like, did Elizabeth Rose think you understood her legendary Bastards of the Crown? <laughs> Probably not until I reviewed it on my show. <laughs> I love that you're doing um, that. When I met you, you were uh, kind of in the infant stages of that. It's brilliant. Oh, uh, well, it's it's a lot of fun. And again, it gives me more reason to connect with the authors because uh, like Elizabeth Rose, for example, she's in the Midwest and I see her at a lot of the shows and her and her husband are just the nicest people. That's the thing is everybody's asking me like, when you go to these conferences, is it weird? Are the, are the ladies kind of coming up and hanging on you? And I'm like, just try to imagine being in a room full of the nicest, most genuine people you can imagine. They are, I, I, I cannot think of any author that I've ever been like, eh, I don't know about them. Everyone is just so gracious to me and just so friendly it's 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 a really good scene i i enjoy it a lot it's 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 really nice and especially it's such a nice break from la and i mean this is my favorite place to live in the world if it wasn't for the people um but uh <laughs> what, but but it's just no i mean and i understand i mean everybody out here is out here for a reason they're out here chasing their dream and some people look at it as i'm gonna chase my dream no matter who gets in the way i'm gonna mow them down and I just look at, there's a pretty big pie out here and I think everybody could have a little slice and I don't need to wish harm upon anybody else or, you know, use anyone to get what I'm trying to do. I'm just going to keep working hard and doing me, but it is a little draining when so many people you meet, you can just tell her just looking at you like, okay, what can I get from you? Mm -hmm. And then I go to one of these romance conventions and everyone's just like, oh, it's just so nice to see you. And I'm like, man, this is, it, it, re it reboots my battery, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You and your wife do a lot of work to help with the humanitarian crisis in Nicaragua. Yes. Can you talk about what's going on there and, and what you're doing to help? So um, my wife was born in Nicaragua. And if you ever saw the movie Argo, mm -hmm. her, her mother's story is like that on steroids. Um, you know, she did not meet her father until she was five. Um, so what happened is, I'll, I'll try to make this as brief as I can. Uh, the dictator down there, uh, Somoza, her parents worked in the government. Her dad was a doctor and her mother was a nurse. And when the Sandinistas, the uh, the communists, decided they were going to come in and, and overthrow, they were executing, killing people, anybody that was involved in the government for Somoza. So their parents had to leave quickly. And uh, her mother, I mean, we're talking shirt on the back type stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, thankfully, her grandfather had American citizenship. So she was able to at least come here and there, I mean, I, there's nobody more American than my wife. 
and she, um, they, they escaped this country to come here and all of the, the, the wealth that they had had down there, having drivers, all this stuff was gone, you know? And then she met her father when she was five, her father had to work as a janitor because the first thing that the, the, uh, the Sandinistas did were burn all of the, um, uh, the college records, the medical records. So her father couldn't come to the United States and prove that he was actually a doctor. You know, like, oh, you're going to leave? Well, you're going to be screwed if you leave. So they worked very hard. And now what's happening is, is the guy, this, the guy that led the Sandinista revolution, this uh, Ortega that was doing it for the people, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, he's nothing more than a two-bit dictator himself. And what happened is uh, a year ago, he decided that he was going to cut the benefits to the elderly. Now, Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere behind Haiti. But the irony is, is they're the happiest country in the Western Hemisphere. I mean, if you went there, the people are so great. They're so happy. But it was to the point where if you cut half of the benefits of these people, they can't eat any longer. So the older people went out and started protesting in the streets. And that's when the rubber bullets came out on them. Well, the college students didn't like that. And they wanted to stand with the elderly. And they went and started protesting. And that's when the snipers and the actual rifles started coming out. And he just started killing people. Uh, the population in Nicaragua is 6 million. And at one point there was over, I think now we're up to 600 dead, which at the equivalence of the United States would be like if the government killed 35,000 people. Wow. And, uh, you know, so he's killing these people and they're protesting against it. So they started using what's called hashtag SOS Nicaragua to, to bring uh, attention there. The, you know, they do not want the United States to come there and start a war. They don't want to kick them out. They're trying to do it peacefully and they want to do it themselves, which I have so much respect for. And the Nicaraguan people are the ones that don't want to come to the United States. They're like, we want to stay in our country and fix it. And as red, white and blue as my wife and I are, how can you not respect that? And so they're, all they want down there is freedom and democracy. And this guy's down there. So they've been asking us to help. And what we do is we try to spread awareness through our platform, USA for NECA, which is basically, I tell Karina, I was like, you know, you've got all this news coming out of Nicaragua in Spanish. And if you want real, if you want Americans to help, like, you know, people where I'm from in the Midwest, you've got, they need to be able to know what's going on. Right. And I mean, I told her, I said, like, you know, when, when an American like myself sees a bunch of Hispanic people, like with their flags and everything on the side of the road going nuts, I'm like, who just won the World Cup? I mean, we really have no clue. It's not that we don't care. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, if you start taking all this news and we translate, you translate it. And, you know, say habla español también. I speak a little Spanish. So I'm like, I can help. And we can start taking this to the masses in America and let them see what's going on. Um, I really think Americans would get behind this, you know. And it's like, here's a country that's really trying to fix itself. And I think most Americans would be like, that's interesting. So by doing this, we've been lucky enough to um, have people help support us. And uh, within the last couple of months, we passed the NECA Act. And what that is, is that's putting sanctions on Ortega, the dictator down there. And we're trying to cripple him financially because he's trying to paint this picture that everything's fine down there. And then you see videos coming out of students being shot. And I mean, this is all stuff you can find online and we put it on our site and uh, by, by hopefully hamstringing him with these sanctions sooner or later, when he runs out of money, he's not going to be able to pay his thugs and uh, then he's going to be gone. So, but yeah, my wife is very, very passionate about this and, and I am as well, because I mean, we, we have, we have family down there and they're, again, I just, I just can't think of a place where they're nicer people than other than maybe a romance convention, (laughs) but I mean, 
they're just the, the nicest people and all they want to do is be able to have freedom. And right now they are being killed if they want to say anything against the government, which is just disgusting. So what is next on the horizon for you? What's coming up? Well, uh, I just um, booked a show. I'm going to be filming this Thursday on Disney. Um, is it, have you ever heard of Kim Possible? Of course. Yes, I have. Hmm. Well, you might, you might, or you might not be talking to Warhawk. <gasps> Pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, uh, I filmed a movie that's going to be coming out this year, um, down in, uh, Alabama. And, uh, would you like to hear a little story of hard work and dedication? Of course. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. If I'm babbling, just cut me nope, off. We right? love it. No, you're not babbling. Okay. Okay. Well, I had a friend of mine, uh, this guy, Matt Felker. He's, uh, he's, he does a lot of production work. You, he's going to kill me for saying this, but you might know him as the hot guy in the Britney Spears toxic video on the plane. Yes. Oh, sure. I just saw him in, what was he in? He was in the, um, the American meme. He's in the American meme. I just was staring at his amazing eyes in that. Yeah. I gotta I'm be sure honest. That's the takeaway, Heidi. Too. That is the uh, takeaway. That's exactly what you're supposed to get out of American Meme. <laughs> hey, look, I noticed him over Tommy Lee. So hey, <laughs> was was it Tombstone? That's prettiest man I ever exactly. seen. Exactly. But, uh, but uh, so Matt's a really close friend of mine, and um, he's doing. He's on the American Meme because he's doing a lot of production work, and he was helping this production company up here, unbeknownst to me. And he calls me up, and he's like. Uh, He's like, hey, uh, can you maybe give me a hand doing something? And normally when somebody calls me with a question like that, it's like, you need me to help you move a couch. No problem. <laughs> so he's like, we have a, a table read this weekend, and uh, we need someone that's going to come and read some of the other roles. Now, if you don't know what a table read is, it's uh, when you basically sit down with the entire cast and the producers and the directors and the writers, and you just basically read the movie. Mm-hmm. And that way the writer can hear and the director can hear like, oh, that works, that doesn't. And he told me, he said, most of it's been cast, but you know, you're going to be reading for like, you know, guy number two or this that, and the other thing. And, and again, my thing in Hollywood is I don't, I'm not related to directors. I'm not related to producers. My thing has got to be hard work. So I was like, I would love to do that. So we went there and uh, this movie is called Embattled. So it's a, it's an MMA movie and I get there and we start doing some reading and I'm, I, I always get there early and I look at the script and I see something that I was like, uh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. So we're reading the script going over and the, it comes time for the fight. Well, I played the ring announcer at the nice. table read and I, I really was on my high school radio station and I really like that kind of stuff. So when it came to me, and everyone's doing the reading and okay, yes, I will go over and open the door, blah, blah, blah. And it comes to me and it was like, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, and I just start, you know, I start going crazy with it. And I look over at the writer who is uh, David McKenna. He did uh, American History X and Blow and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I see his eyes light up. And, uh, you know, the director and the producers, Kate, and Nick, and it was great. And they, uh, you know, we got done and they came up and they're like, that was awesome. I get a phone call from Matt later that night. He's like, dude, what the hell did you do? <laughs> and I was like, uh, did I do something bad? He goes, no, they loved it. They loved you. You're probably going to get a role in this. That's awesome. And I was like, my jaw just drops. Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
and check out our YouTube channel for some additional Great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. The show is produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our web producer is Tenley Mustonen. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthomagnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. <laughs>